Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Today's episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. You know, a new set of windows or a new door can do a lot of things for you. It can totally change the look, the feeling, the vibe of your home. It can add value to your home, but it can also make your home more energy efficient. Pella checks all of those boxes and then some. Turn your window and door remodeling dreams into a reality with Pella. Give me a call, 402-493-1350, or check them out online at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Runza. I got three words for you. French onion burger. Oh, yeah. French onion dip, grilled onions, Swiss cheese, all on a burger. And you may be reading those ingredients and wondering how Swiss cheese snuck into a French burger. That's because there's no such thing as French cheese. Don't worry, though. The Swiss cheese is a perfect complement to the homemade French onion dip and grilled onions on this worldly, worldly renowned burger. Get out to Runza and try it today. Runza makes it all better. Okay, uh, we'll go back into the podcast. Um First of all, I want to apologize if my voice still sounds bad. I'm just, I'm, I've been under the weather for a little over a week now, battling a nasty sinus infection. I'm doing all that I can here, guys, try and make sure that I'm, I'm able to not sound terrible for, you know, 30, 45, 60 minutes on a podcast, but apologize if this doesn't sound great. I'm um, just trying to battle through this sinus infection. But on the pod today, I got a, I got a few thoughts at, at the top of this thing on Creighton, Nebraska, and LeBron James. And then I wanted to do what I guess is kind of a mailbag, but what I did was I kind of just went through my email inbox, and I, I I was able to find some emails that I either never discussed on a mailbag or I just kind of found interesting. So some of these emails are recent, uh, extremely recent, like over this past weekend, and some are from a few months ago. Uh, so I think you guys are going to enjoy this, man. So let's get to it. Here we go. Uh, I want to start with uh, with some with Creighton here. Johnny Atawa and I had a great chat about Creighton in this uh, in our last podcast. Go check it out. It's on the podcast feed. Highly recommend you go listen to it. It was kind of a state of the union for Creighton basketball and everything with the last few months and then kind of looking ahead. Most notably, though, this incredible recruiting class Creighton has fielded here. They got the fifth-ranked recruiting class in the country in the class of 2021. I mean, just unreal. It, it's it's exciting, and you know it's, it's impressive. But it's hard to know kind of how or what to achieve what to project for next season because seven of the guys on this roster will be freshmen. You have all five freshmen in this class and you got two redshirt freshmen in Roddy and then Modestus Cancelaris, two foreign guys that were on the roster a year ago, nursing knee injuries. And then, and then the other guy, I mean, you got a sophomore in Kalkbrenner who isn't exactly, you know, an elder statesman, you know I mean? He's just a sophomore. So this team will be young and this team will be inexperienced. And then when you even kind of expand your scope beyond that, and you look at the coaching staff, you got two new assistants hired in Ryan Miller and Jalen Courtney Williams, right? So between like, I was thinking about this, between the 12 and 13 man roster, 12 or 13 man roster, and then you have the head coach and the three assistants, that totals to about what, 16 or 17 people that really make up the core of your, of your program. 
Of the 16 or 17 people that make up the core of Creighton basketball for next season, nine will be new. And potentially 10 if they bring in one more recruit. I mean, think about that. That's a lot of new. It's a lot of new. And that is something that Creighton hasn't had to deal with a ton and they've had going for them for for the most part over the last five, six, seven, eight, ten years is continuity with their roster and the coaching staff for the most part. They haven't had just massive, like a massive roster flip like this. And, and here is something I was thinking about with all that in mind. This is a crucial year to make sure that the Creighton culture doesn't slip and make sure that it gets either passed on or kind of reestablished with all the newness in that Creighton basketball facility. Because if you really think about it over the, let's say, I mean, you could just say the last two years, but you can even go back further to Kyrie Thomas, Toby Hegner, and those guys. But like, let's look at the last two seasons. You have Marcus Zagorowski, Mitch Ballock, Tyson Alexander, Damian Jefferson, Denzel Mahoney, Christian Bishop, Paul Lusk, Al Huss, Greg McDermott. Like, you, you don't have to worry about the culture slipping when you have that much continuity and everything established, right? I mean, Marcus Zagorowski and Mitch Ballock were going to set the tone and every single day and lead both vocally and by example in how to work and how to compete and how to get in on your, on your own time and how to be a good teammate and how to be unselfish how to treat other the, the coaches, other guys on the team. They were going to do that every day. You didn't have to worry about that. Now, almost everyone is gone. No Mitch, no Marcus Zagorowski, no Damian Jefferson, no Denzel, no Paul Lusk, no Christian Bishop. And here is where things will get really interesting in this process. I think the guy that is most suited and likely to lead the team and set the tone and be the example for the Creighton culture for the younger guys on the roster is Sharif Mitchell. He's a junior. He's actually played in a lot of games. He's a worker. He's tough. He plays hard. He's unselfish. He's all of those things. So I think he'll be the tone setter in that regard. But I don't know if he'll be the quote-unquote the man. I don't know if he'll be the guy that plays, you know, 34, 35 minutes a game and takes a bunch of shots. In fact, there could be games, some of those freshmen are playing more minutes and scoring more points than Sharif Mitchell is. I mean, there could be games where Nemhard and Trey Alexander, like th- those guys are playing more minutes and scoring more points. And here's the thing. Based on my experiences... Sometimes it's hard to lead when you aren't the man. Think about this now. Mitch Ballack and Marcus Zagorowski could lead not only because they're suited for it, tangibly and intangibly, but they could also lead because between those two guys, you got your leading scorer and your leading guy in minutes played. I'm not sure that'll be the case with Sharif Mitchell. So it creates an, it creates an interesting dynamic. And then even within that, can you, you being Sharif Mitchell, can you stay unselfish and stay all about setting an example for those young guys when, like I said, the young guys are maybe playing more than you or scoring more points than you? This was something I had to deal with when I was a senior in the 2007-2008 season. 
I was team captain. I felt like I was I was the vocal leader. I feel like a lot of the young guys looked to me for guidance, uh, advice, for you know, for setting the tone, all that stuff, right? But the reality is, on that team, P. Allen, Stinnett, Cavell, Witter, Booker, Woodfox, all those guys were newcomers, younger than me. And they were scoring more points than me, taking more shots than me. And let's be honest, they were all three a little better than me. And I found that to be a tricky spot to lead from. When you aren't the man. I wasn't the man. I'm not leading the team in scoring. I'm not taking 15, 20 shots a game. But you got to speak and act like the man to the other guys. That's not the easiest thing to do in the world. Like, I, I found that to be challenging a little bit. Especially as the season progressed. Where, you know, I could maybe, I, I sensed there were times I'd maybe say something to P. Allen and he'd kind of look at me like, man, I'm, st- I'm better than you. I'm like, yeah, I mean, you may be kind of an a-hole, but like, yeah, you are. Man, I'm taking more shots than you. I'm scoring more than you. The ball's in my hands at the end of the game. What are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, I mean, I like that's a weird thing. That's why the the secret sauce for all great basketball teams is when your best player is your best worker and your and your leader. Like that's when that's when he got Duncan, LeBron, Jordan. Like th- that's when it works. Balak, Zagorowski. That's when it works. When your best player, who's taking all the shots, getting all the minutes, he's the man. He's also your leader. So I'll be just curious what that process looks like for Creighton. And I got my eye on Sharif Mitchell. He's got it's. Th- there's going to be a lot on Sharif Mitchell's plate. I think he's got a huge role on a variety of levels with this team. And hopefully he's up to the challenge. The other thing uh, I, I want to talk about before I get to some emails. So I'm taping this, Scott. It's about 1.30 in the afternoon, Monday, uh, June 7th. So last night, Nebraska baseball beat Arkansas 5-3. Uh, incredible win, incredible atmosphere in what looked like to be a hornet's nest in Fayetteville for Will Bolt's crew. I mean, they just beat the number one ranked team in the country, which is obviously one of the biggest wins in Nebraska men's sports team has had in, a, in quite some time. And they'll have a shot to knock out Arkansas tonight and advance to the Super Regionals. Uh, so certainly a lot of exciting things around Nebraska baseball. But I was thinking about, you know, this season and this run, and you know that win for Nebraska, and, and you know, and it's, you know, and it's impact because let's be honest about the three main men's sports at Nebraska: football, basketball, and baseball. There hasn't been a lot to cheer about over the over the past handful of years. I mean, they've all three really struggled, right? And those struggles kind of take a toll on everyone: you know, teams, coaches, players, administrators, fans, everyone. And you know. That's where just kind of having some good vibes, some good feelings in the moment can help. I mean, sure, you're going to get some some fans who are always going to think about Frost in football and say, hey, Will Bolt can do it. Why can't you, Scott Frost? And it's like, I mean, I guess that's valid. I don't know if you connect, can totally connect the dots like that, but I mean, I guess that's valid. I think the biggest thing is, for once, Nebraska's in, in like, they were in a big spot and they won a big game, and you got some positive vibes amongst the fan base, which is something that this this fan base in this state is needed. Right? 
But I was thinking about this winner, and I saw Dirk Chatlin's tweet, and it was interesting to scroll through the, the answers. He basically tweeted out, after Nebraska beat Arkansas, biggest Husker win on the men's side, obviously, since, he said, fill in the blank. And you know, it's amazing when you, when you put a pen to paper, okay, biggest win since, okay, all of a sudden you're going back one years, two years, three years, four years, five years. Like, what's sad is you got to go back a ways. Because the the thing is, like, you got to find, you, you got to, what you got to find is not just a great win over one of the best teams in the country, but it has to have some significance to it as well. Not only did Nebraska baseball beat the number one ranked team in the country in Arkansas, it was in the freaking NCAA tournament. Right? Like, it wasn't just a popped up, beat a team. Like, it was a big deal. In a big spot. So I wrote down I wrote down a handful of the biggest wins that jumped out at me with Nebraska's men's sports over the last handful of years. You, you, the, the first one that jumped out at me because I was thinking about football was 2015, Mike Riley, year one. Nebraska upset Michigan State at home when the Spartans were ranked number seven in the country. But the problem is with that game. It's a gr- big win, right? It, I was at the game. I was in Memorial Stadium. Stadium was rocking. It was an amazing game. Jordan Westcamp, Tommy Armstrong, they were really good down the stretch. But the problem is, that was a Nebraska wouldn't go anywhere that season, right? They still had a losing record, so great win. But I don't, I don't think it's as big as this one. And all of a sudden, you start going through the football seasons, and it's hard to, it's hard to find one without it being kind of a stretch. Like, sure, Bo Pelini beat Georgia in a bowl game, but eh, had a couple of nice wins in say 2011, beat a top 15 ranked Michigan State and Penn State team, maybe 2010. Remember when Roy Hallou rushed for 300 yards and Nebraska beat sixth-ranked Missouri in Memorial Stadium? It was an amazing game. But, I mean, we're going back to 2010. I mean, and all of a sudden, you go Pat, you go further than that. All of a sudden, you're getting all the way back to, like, you're creeping in that, like, 2001 Oklahoma range. You're like, ooh, golly. So, football, it's, it's tough. In basketball, I think the obvious answer is no sit Sunday. In fact, I think that is the answer to this question. Like, that's what I would have wrote back to Dirk Chatlin. <laughs> Nebraska baseball beating Arkansas in the NCAA tournament is the biggest win for a men's Nebraska sports team since Sunday, March 9th, 2014, Tim Miles' Nebraska basketball squad, who was red hot but had to win to assure themselves a spot in the NCAA tournament, beat ninth-ranked Wisconsin inside Pinnacle Bank Arena, one of the most incredible atmospheres I've ever been at for any sporting event. By the way, that Wisconsin team that they beat made it to the Final Four and lost to an undefeated Kentucky team by one in the semifinals. That was a really good Wisconsin team. Like, one of the two or three best teams in the country. They were legit. But to me, that's the answer. That's the the, the biggest win since this Nebraska baseball taking down Arkansas win is no sit Sunday, which is pretty staggering when you put a pen to paper and think about it. Not a ton of signature moments or wins for the three big men's sports over the past 10 to 15 years. Maybe this win will kind of spark some positive mojo, some positive mojo haggy amongst all of the, the men's sports. But that was fun to watch. That was fun to watch. Okay, the ne- next final thought I got until I get some emails. So I want to talk about LeBron James for just a second. 
So the, La- the, the Los Angeles Lakers got bounced in the first round by the Phoenix Suns. It was the first time in LeBron James' career that he lost in the first round of the playoffs. And I, I wrote a few things down with LeBron. The first thing is, I guess, I don't really know what to make of these playoffs, this little this playoff series and what this playoffs look like for LeBron. I don't know. To, I don't, I, I'm having a hard time making heads or tails of it because just nine months ago, eight, nine months ago, in the bubble, LeBron James was still the best player in the world. But it was pretty clear in these playoffs against Phoenix, he wasn't. He just didn't have it. He couldn't explode like usual. He couldn't get to his spots and bully his way to the rim like usual. He settled for more jump shots than he ever has in his career. In fact, according to ESPN Stats and Info, 42% of LeBron James' field goal attempts were threes, which was the highest rate of his career by 11% in these playoffs. I mean, that's, that's a lot of settling. For a 6'9", 260-pound freak, he usually just lives in the paint and at the rim. Like, in the past, when you watch it, like, in the past, in that game six, where the Lakers just got totally blown out and Booker went looked like Kobe Bryant out there. In the, like, in the past, you could, you could just pencil in LeBron James dominating and going for 42, 10, and 7 in a game like that. You just could. You just knew, like, LeBron James is going to go out there and just completely dominate this game. And he wasn't even close to that. So the question is, okay, was it all his ankle? I mean, he missed, what, 20, 28 consecutive games or something like that towards the latter stages of the regular season? Was it all his ankle? Was he just not even close to 100%? Was this just a lost season in general, with the bubble run to the finals, the quick offseason, and then Anthony Davis gets hurt, LeBron James gets hurt, the Lakers just kind of say, just kind of fold their cards here a little bit? Or is is the reign of dominance for LeBron James over? This is the first time in 10 years. The first time in 10 years. I can't say LeBron James was the best player on earth. Which is pretty eye-opening for me. And again, it was clear that he wasn't himself at all. So, you know, is that guy gone? Or does he need to just get healthy and the Lakers need to make some roster tweaks and Anthony Davis needs to get healthy and and then LeBron James and the dominance will be back? I don't know. I All I know is I'd never bet against LeBron James, but these playoffs are pretty jarring to me. Anybody that's watched LeBron James over the last you know, 10, 12 years, and then watch these playoffs, you're like, that looks like, for the first time ever, I hate to say it, he kind of looked like, I just, kind of looked old. Like he couldn't move like he usually does. I don't know. Be an interesting offseason and, and and what things look like next year for LeBron. The Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Runza. Everybody that knows my athletic background, you know, as a quarterback, in high school, but you know, I believe in establishing the run game. And even more than that, I believe in establishing the runs game. That's an original runs of cheeseburger, some onion rings, double dipped in a homemade batter, little bit of a pop to top it off. You know, in football, you establish a run, but at lunch you establish the runza. It's just that simple. So get out to runza today and establish the runza game or Check out the delicious salads. You got the chicken bacon ranch salad, sweet berry chicken salad, and my personal favorite, the Southwest chicken salad. You got to get out to Runza, establish a Runza game, or get a salad. Either way, you are going to leave satisfied. Runza makes it all better. One one more LeBron thing before I get these these fun emails. 
So, you know, if you followed me or listened to me over the last 10, 12 years, y'all know I love LeBron James. I do. I think he's the second best player of all time behind Michael Jordan, and you could easily argue that when it's all said and done and he's retired, that LeBron James, he might not be the GOAT and overtake Jordan, but he'll have probably the best overall career, which to me, I think you can separate those two. There's the greatest player of all time, and then there's the greatest career of all time. I think LeBron might, when it's all said and done, when you just line up there, you know, all everybody's accomplishments, LeBron James might have the best career of all time. So again, y'all know I like LeBron and I've rooted for him forever. But ever since he's gone to, to LA, there's been this, this part of me that, that as I observe LeBron, that kind of questions how much basketball and winning championships are absolutely the number one thing to him. Because all of a sudden, okay, let's stop and smell the roses here a little bit. Since LeBron James has come to Los Angeles to be with, to be a Laker, three seasons. First year, he gets hurt, didn't make the playoffs. Lakers missed the playoffs. Second year, pandemic, they were the one seed in the West. There's the bubble playoffs. They win the title. Third year, they're a seven seed. They had to play in the play-in game and battle to get in, and they lose to Phoenix in the first round. So, you know, so far, there's a title, which is great, but there's a first-round exit and a year where they didn't even make the playoffs. I mean, that's pretty substandard stuff for LeBron James. And, you know, ever since he's gone to L.A., I just I can't help but question where his motivation and his focus is at. And what's hard is, I guess I'm not saying that he can't have other interests, obviously. But it appears like sometimes he's more interested in business than he is basketball. Like, first year with the Lakers when they didn't make the playoffs and he was hurt and he was kind of being a weird, flaky teammate and all that stuff, LeBron James, he took time to executive produce a rap album by 2 Chains during the season. And there's there are videos of him during the season in the studio with 2 Chains talking to him about different stuff. It's like, eh. I mean, while the, like you look at just over the, the past two weeks here, well, the Lakers are losing to the Suns in the playoffs. An episode of The Shop, which is a show by LeBron James where celebrities talk in a barbershop setting and, and it airs on HBO. And an episode of The Shop aired that was clearly recently recorded while LeBron is like losing in the playoffs. It's like, eh, eh. Hell, like a few days before the playoffs started, LeBron James is at some tequila party event with Drake and Michael B. Jordan. And it's like, okay, I mean, all right. But still, eh. Then, I mean, to me, last week was like, wow, really? Last week, 20 minutes after, 20, 30 minutes after LeBron James loses to the Phoenix Suns. First First round exit ever in his career. Their season is done. They got embarrassed. 20, 30 minutes later, he's talking about Space Jam 2 in the press conference and plugging the movie. He's talking about Space Jam 2. Season's over. Got the got his ass kicked by Phoenix. Little young puck Devin Bo- Devin Booker just busted everyone's ass on the floor. And you're plugging Bugs Bunny Space Jam too? Like, 
And so what's hard is I'm, I'm not saying that I want my athletes to be robots and only care about basketball or football or whatever and have zero other interests, but I'm just, I'm just watching and thinking to myself, okay, is basketball, is, is basketball his number one priority nowadays or is it business? Because remember, remember before he got to LA, remember what LeBron James would do for the playoffs? Real, real LeBron James fans will remember. Remember what he would do for the playoffs? Zero dark 30. That's what he called it. Called it zero dark 30. He would be 100% off social media for the entire playoffs. No tweets, no nothing, just oops. And then you contrast that with now? What all that looks like? And I can't help but kind of question his intentions, where his priorities lie. Because that was something that stood out to me with the last dance, that, that last dance, that Michael Jordan documentary on Netflix last spring. Was was just how obsessed Jordan was with winning. How Jordan was just like a psychopath about winning titles. Now, I mean, to be fair, the hard part is Jordan did a bunch of other stuff that we, we maybe we didn't know about. And if there was Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff, we would know about today. But I mean, there was the infamous Atlantic City trip where Jordan went to go gamble during the playoffs and all that stuff. I mean, he was smoking cigars and drinking all that stuff. But I guess for me, it just I, I felt like you could never question what Michael Jordan's number one priority was. It was winning. And LeBron James' time in L.A. has just been interesting in that regard. You know, and I hate to even be like this because I never want to minimize someone's interests or act, you know, act, and activities and ventures in life. But LeBron, just like maybe a little less of the shop on HBO and a little less tequila parties with Drake and a little less rap albums with two chains and a little less Space Jam 2 plugs in the losing press conference after you're eliminated from the playoffs. Just maybe a little less of that stuff, bro. Just a little little less. Like, not saying you can't do that stuff, but time and place, context, setting, all that. I just feel like, mainly because I think there's more winning and more rings for this guy. Like, I just don't want him to lose that edge and drive. You got the rest of your life to do that stuff, man. That's what my my high school football coach used to give us that line, Chuck Mazursky, when he was trying to kind of talk to us about making sure we're making good social decisions during the season. He'd always say, "You got," he'd say, he'd say, "Guys, you got you, you got the rest of your life to party. You got the rest of your life to party." And I want to say, LeBron, you got you got the rest of your life to do all this other stuff, man. You you got the rest of your life to go to tequila parties with Drake. You got the rest of your life to do the shop on HBO and talk to Jay Z and all that stuff. You got the rest of your life to maybe if you want to executive produce a rap album too. You got the rest of your life to do that stuff, man. Hoops, rings, titles. Just a thought. And listen, man, this coming from this coming from a LeBron James lover. Okay. All right, I want to get to some uh, some emails. It's almost like a makeshift mailbag here, just going through my emails. Uh, remember, you can email me, nick at nickbaugh.com. Mark, we'll start with this. Mark emails. Says, hey, Nick, I've seen you tweet about not liking this Floyd Mayweather fight. I'd love to hear you expand. So, yeah. So, I mean, last night, Floyd Mayweather fought Logan Paul, and, you know, I fired off a few tweets before the fight, just kind of ripping it and all that. So, I'll expand here. Like, I think I've, I said, I think it's embarrassing. I, th- I think it's embarrassing that the 49-0 arguable GOAT of boxing fought a boxing nobody. A guy that isn't even a real fighter. A guy that got famous on YouTube. Yes, I think that is embarrassing for Floyd Mayweather. And I guess this is, th- this is where I'm coming from with it all. 
to me, the fight between Logan Paul and Floyd Mayweather violates all that I hold in high regard as it pertains to sport, competition, what it takes to step inside the ring or on the field or on the court at a professional high, high level. It violates the integrity of all that, in my opinion. I'm cut from the cloth that you got to earn your shot. Like this, this Logan Paul guy, he's, he's a, he's a nobody in the boxing world. He's not even a professional boxer. And for Floyd to fight this guy to me is just, is embarrassing. And I've gotten a lot of this on Twitter from people. Hey, 50 million bucks. It's about, it's about the money. Would you turn down free money? And my answer is yes. If I were Floyd Mayweather, like if I'm, let's say I'm Floyd. If, especially if my net worth is $450 million like Floyd's is, and the fight impacts my integrity and the integrity of the sport I poured everything into, yeah. Again, I hold in high regard what it takes to step onto the field in the NFL or what it takes to step onto the court in the NBA and also what it means and what it takes to step into the ring with arguably the greatest boxer of all time. I think it's disrespectful to all that have fought and dedicated their entire lives to this sport to watch Logan effing Paul get a shot at Floyd Mayweather. And I get that Mayweather, it was an exhibition and, and Mayweather supposedly retired and all that stuff. But I was thinking about this. Like, imagine what it would feel like for someone like Bud Crawford to watch that. This is a guy, think about Bud Crawford, a guy who's dedicated his whole life to boxing. It's an accomplished guy that has, you know, bled and grinded his way through the boxing world to get where he is at as one of the premier fighters in the world. Every single day, work, grind, fighting in small venues, tiny event centers for a couple hundred bucks to build up a name, to build up a resume, working and grinding, working and grinding, sacrificing at the highest level to work his way up, 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 all to see some YouTuber boxing nobody who's not even a pro get a shot at Floyd? You, you think Bud Crawford would love a shot at Floyd? Yeah, I think he would. One guy has earned it, Bud Crawford. The other didn't. It, to me, even like this is a little bit like that. Did you guys see the story from a few weeks ago of, of the rapper J. Cole? He got a contract to play in the African Professional Basketball League. And... You know, he really he only played a couple of games and he had some family stuff he had to leave. It was like, okay, what was the point of that? But like it, it's listen, I like Jay Cole the rapper, like his music. And I get why it's a cool story, right? That he got to go play professional basketball and all that stuff. But I didn't like it at all. I didn't like it at all. Like, I found it disrespectful to all the other pros out there that are real pros. Jay Cole's not a pro. Jay Cole couldn't beat me. The ones that are real professional basketball players. Like, I thought they either got bypassed by a rapper or they are now viewed on the same level as a rapper. For these guys whose livelihood depends on this, and for these dudes who have dedicated their entire lives to being a professional basketball player, I find it disrespectful for Jay Cole to get a spot all because he's famous for something that has nothing to do with being a basketball player. Same thing with Logan Paul. 
For him to get a shot at Floyd Mayweather, all because he's famous for something that has nothing to do with being a professional, legitimate boxer, I just th- I think it's ridiculous. And I can hear some people saying, Nick, what about Floyd fighting Conor McGregor? Well, like, listen, at least Conor McGregor was an accomplished champion in the UFC. He at least worked and grinded his entire life in the world of fighting. I just think the fact that Floyd Mayweather, 49-0, champ, arguably the greatest boxer to ever grace this earth, the fact that he fought a guy that isn't even a pro, it's just embarrassing to me. And I guess, you know, the fight is eye-opening in the sense of, oh, so it has nothing to do with how good of a fighter you are or the spirit of figuring out who is actually the best. It's solely about fame and money and pay-per-view buys. Got it. And I guess that couldn't come that that shouldn't come as a total surprise. That's kind of what boxing has kind of become that sport where it's not about figuring out who the best is and matching up the the two best and all that stuff. It's it really what it's about. Boxing is 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 about which fight makes the most money but also protects whoever is the decision maker of the fight's legacy. And forever, Floyd held all the cards in that regard. And Floyd has just, you know, continued to do that to a certain extent, I guess, right? I mean, the guy's nickname is Money, Floyd Money Mayweather. So when he does something solely for money, shame on me for being surprised. But still, that doesn't mean I got to like it or agree with it and not think it's totally ridiculous and embarrassing. I mean, put, could you see this in any other realm? Coming up next, LeBron James will play some dude one-on-one from 24-Hour Fitness who didn't even play high school basketball. And immediately following that, Tiger Woods will go head-to-head with some guy from your local public course who's never even broke 90. That's basically what this was, guys. That's basically what this was. So you can call me Captain No Fun. I don't give a shit. Like, But that's just how I see it. Again, I hold what it takes to work your way up, the dedication, the grind, the sacrifices to step onto the court in the NBA or on the field in the NFL or Major League Baseball or in the ring for boxing, UFC, whatever, in extremely high regard. And this just makes, that that fight just made a mockery of it all. Total mockery. All right, I got to calm down. That got me worked up. Next email from Cody. Says, Nick, Coach K retired. Is he the GOAT of college basketball coaches? And what do you think of him? Uh, First of all, Cody, I would say, yeah, I mean, when we're talking greatest of all time for college basketball coaches, to me, John Wooden, Mike Krzyzewski, 1A, 1B. Like, I wasn't alive for John Wooden's dynasty, but it's, you know, his accomplishments speak for themselves. And his impact with, you know, his whole pyramid of success, all that transcends sports. So you got to have, you can't just discount John Wooden, but it was a different sport back then than it is today. But Coach K is right there with him. I think Coach K, like, I'll put it to you this way. I think Coach K is not only one of the one of the goats of college basketball with John Wooden, but I view Coach K in that next level of he's one of the top 10 most impactful coaches in any sport ever of all time. Like, he's in, he's in the club with, you know, Vince Lombardi, John Wooden, Phil Jackson, Bill Belichick, like, he's in that class. Nick Saban, he's in that class. I mean, what he what he has done at Duke is just incredible. Five national titles, 12 final, final fours. He's got the most wins in Division I history, 1,170 wins. I mean, just remarkable. A couple of things with Coach K. 
I will, I will say, you know, growing up as a kid in Lincoln, Nebraska, whose dream was to play Division One college basketball. And, and you know, and, and when I'm a freshman and sophomore and then junior and going through the recruiting process and going to AAU tournaments and all that stuff and getting letters from different schools where you're just dying to get, you know, interest from the big schools and dying to get offers from the big schools, all that stuff. I'll say this. Even though Kansas was my dream school and Roy Williams was, I mean, he was incredible to me. Even during that time, if I'm keeping it, if I'm keeping it real, to me, an offer, if a scholarship offer from, from Coach K and Duke was the ultimate stamp of, you are a baller. You are special. That's just me. An offer from, from Coach K would have been like getting made in, in the mafia to me. Remember when you get made in, like, in Goodfellas? Like, that's what that would have felt like. Like there, there, there wouldn't have been a higher honor than to get a scholarship offer from Coach K. When I was when I was playing basketball and back in high school, that's just me. I don't know. I don't know how anyone else felt about that. I'm sure there's some people that felt like that way about Jim Beheim or 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 you know Coach Calhoun or whatever. But for me, Coach K was the ultimate. Like if that dude gives you an offer, it's like stamped, certified. So that's kind of the first thing I thought about when reflecting on Coach K. The other thing I thought about was I've always admired one of the things I've always admired about Coach K, and maybe this is because I'm from a, a the boss are kind of a family full of coaches, my uncle, my brother, my grandpa. So we kind of, a lot of my Thanksgiving conversations were about coaching and philosophy and all those things. But one of the things that I've always admired about Coach K, and I think this is true of any great, any great coach, is I could always spot a Duke team. Like if you turned on a game and you took the jerseys off, I would know which team was Duke. Always. And it wasn't just because of talent. And it wasn't something because it was obvious like Jim Beheim in the 2-3 zone, right? It was, it was effort. It was style. It was how they went about their business. Defensively, slapping the floor, pressuring the ball, denying one pass away, offensively, sharing the ball, diving on the floor, charges. They just, like, they just had such an identifiable style to me. That no matter what, you would have just played shirts and skins. If I walked in, I would say, that team is Duke. Always. That's something that always struck me and stuck with me. The Dick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. And I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go into Pella's website right now, you look at it. And how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors. By Pella, won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big-time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple-pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. You know, when you think about his his career, I actually think like one of the most incredible things in his career is, is something he didn't do at Duke. It's what he did in the Olympics with Team USA, in particular in 2008. Really impressed me. 
Because remember, after the, the 2004 Olympics in Athens, Team USA Basketball got beat and they needed some redemption. I mean, USA Basketball was kind of like, yeah. And that guy, think about it. The guy tabbed to coach and lead the USA back to prominence was Mike Krzyzewski. And I remember at the time I was really into the Redeem team and I watched a series, I think there was a series on ESPN during that time where they were doing behind-the-scenes stuff at practice and meetings and all that stuff. For the, remember, it was called the Redeem team. And I was just so impressed with Coach K during that. And listen, that's not an easy spot for a coach. I mean, you're coaching LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Dwayne Wade, Camaro Anthony, Chris Paul. Like, you're coaching the biggest basketball mega superstars in the world. And the reality is most college coaches are kind of yellers and they're a my way of the highway type of coaches. And that's like, yeah, good luck doing that with, with Kobe Bryant and LeBron James. and those, like, It's just different at that level and with those types of players. And Coach K wasn't like that with, with that group at all. He built their trust. He got them to buy in. He got them to sacrifice and they won gold. And that impressed the hell out of me. So, yeah, I mean, I think the world of Mike Krzyzewski, the guy's a legend. He's going to get his proper farewell tour next season. And, uh, man, all an all-time coach. Not just all-time college basketball coach. An all-time coach ever in the history of sports. Sticking with, with Coach K for a second. So, it was announced with Coach K's retirement at the end of, of next year, that his former player and current assistant, John Shire, will take over as head coach at Duke. And I, was, I, was, I saw that news, and I was thinking about it, and I thought, you know, who, you know who John Shire should call? Frank Solich. And just pick his brain on advice for how to follow a living legend for how to follow someone that is larger than life in your sport and someone that basically is the program. Like, Tom Osborne was Nebraska football. Mike Krzyzewski is Duke basketball. I mean, let's be honest, man. This is going to be the toughest act to follow in college basketball, college basketball history with, with following Coach K. Just like Frank Solich probably had the toughest act to follow, at least at the time, in college football history in following Tom Osborne. You know, it's weird. Duke fans and Nebraska football fans kind of have something in common, in common coming up soon here. LAL, life after legend. And as us Husker football fans found out, you better be careful, man. You, you better be careful. You know, and I was, I, I, based on what I've learned and observing kind of the fall from when Tom Osborne left and, and, Frank Solich then takes over and then kind of what all took place to here we are now in 2021. Here's, here's what I would tell John Shire and, and Duke University, Duke basketball. And just kind of like, hey, man, I've navigated this. We've navigated this. Like just a little, some, some pieces of advice. First thing I wrote down was make sure the people in charge, the real decision makers, AD, president of the university, Chancellor and stuff. Make sure the, the people in charge don't try to fundamentally change what Duke basketball is. Don't let egos supersede and crush what you've built because what you've built is really impressive. To John Shire, 
I would tell you Coach K's way of building a team and how he does things on a daily basis clearly works. It worked in the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s and the 2010s. It works. Stick to the core principles of that. It won't let you down. But the key, the, the, the key is balancing and staying true to that, right, the core principles, but also figuring out how to tweak when necessary. Don't tweak for the sake of tweak or change for the sake of change, but how to tweak or change when necessary without completely altering that foundation and those principles. It's hard to do. It's hard to do. But you got a great head start because you already got a foundation and you got the blueprint. The next bit of advice I'd give to John Shire, stay in touch. Stay in touch with and in good standing with all the former players. Grant Hill, Christian Leitner, Bobby Hurley, Jay Billis. Stay in touch with and in good standing with all the former players, especially the big prominent ones. Those people... They carry a lot of weight in public opinion amongst the fan base. Make sure they're all in on you. To the fan base, I'm not saying lower your standards, but just be be slow to want to criticize and crush this new coach, John Shire, if things don't go well for a little bit and think that the answer is always to fire and hire someone new. You're new to this, right? Like, you haven't lived in this world for a long time since you've had one coach for the past 30, 40 years. Trust me, you don't want to get into this firing cycle. It ain't good. It ain't good at all. So there you go. A little advice from a Nebraska football fan on how to navigate life after a legend to Duke. So good luck to John Shire. Good luck to Duke. Following a legend isn't easy. But Nebraska made it way harder than it needs to be. Next email. Nate emails in and says, Nick, what do you think the impact will be for name, image, and likeness at Nebraska? Will it be good for Nebraska? Will it be bad? What do you think? Well, I think it'll be good. I think it'll be good for Nebraska, and I will even expand it to Creighton, too. I think, I think Creighton basketball, Nebraska football, Nebraska, I think it'll be great for them. I think they're, I think NIL, name, image, and likeness, is really good for those programs. Because think about this. I was talking to someone about this the other day. Think about in Lincoln, Nebraska, and Omaha, Nebraska, in the state of Nebraska, there are no pro teams. You know who the pro players are? Pro in air quotes in terms of how they're viewed and how they're thought of and all that stuff. You know who the pros are? The Creighton basketball players, the Nebraska football players. Like, that's a huge deal. Like, imagine doing name, image, and likeness for St. John's in New York City or UCLA in Los Angeles. Big cities, a lot of big superstars. You got multiple professional sports teams. Like, no matter what, the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball players, like, they're just going to be a way bigger deal than the shooting guard for St. John's or the, the running back for at UCLA. They just are. I'm sorry. Mookie Betts is a bigger deal than the tight end at UCLA. Anthony Davis is a bigger deal than the point guard at USC. Right? Julius Randle's a bigger deal than whoever the power forward is for St. John's. 
Not the case in the state of Nebraska. Like, the the Mitch Ballock, Marcus Zagorowski, Adrian Martinez, Cam Taylor-Britt, Bryce McGowans, like, these guys are a big deal in the city of Lincoln, the city of Omaha, and the state of Nebraska, which I think can only help in capitalizing and maximizing your name, image, and likeness. So the impact, I think, will be really good. I actually think it helps places like programs like Nebraska football, Nebraska basketball, Creighton basketball. Speaking of NIL, Dan emails in and says, Nick, do you wish you had name, image, and likeness rights when you were at Creighton? Curious to get your thoughts. Love the pod, Dan. Uh, Do I wish I had name, image, and likeness when I was at Creighton? I mean, sure. Like, sure. But, uh, see, here's the problem is I have the benefit of hindsight now. And, I I, like, I, I think about what I have now in my life and realize that Everything I have, everything, everything I have is because I played college basketball at Creighton, period. Think about that. My radio career, my television career, this podcast is all because I played basketball at Creighton. I leveraged that platform and built up a profile Established relationships with Kevin Kugler, Matt Schick, NET, KMTV, Bruce Rasmussen, Greg McDermott, et cetera, et cetera, to piece together my dreams and aspirations as a member of the media. Nobody's benefited more from being a college basketball player at, at a given university in, in this area than me. I've benefited greatly. So, yeah, sure. Do I wish I could have had, I don't know, some sort of, I could have put a, a basketball camp on and kept all the money or I could have, I mean, I guess. Yeah, like I do. Sure. But sometimes it's about playing the long game too. I'm not saying it can't do both, but it's weird. It's weird to answer that question as I sit here and I think, well, I owe everything to everything I have to create. Everything. Everything I have. In my careers, because I played college basketball at Creighton and at Kansas. Period. Justin emails in. Says, Nick, what's something that still bothers you about your playing career? Curious what your answer is. Okay, well, all of a sudden now, we're going to get the... I might need to, like, break out the whiskey here for this one. What's something that still bothers me with my playing career? How much time you got, buddy? <laughs> uh, I mean, the first thing I wrote down... I'm going to vent for a second and give you the biggest Uncle Rico woulda, coulda, shoulda feel you've ever heard in your life. Yeah, it's going to be embarrassing, but whatever. I, what's something that still bothers me? Like, I I look at my high school basketball career, and my my bas- my high school basketball career was close to being pretty freaking special. Like, if you think about my high school basketball career, so my freshman year, we lost in the quarterfinals of the state tournament to Omaha Burke. We weren't great. We weren't, but still, we were close, right? We were just a couple of wins away from winning state. My sophomore year, we were on another planet good. Me, Jake Mielisen, Barrett Root, Andrew Heckman, Eric Cole, Nate Doney, Alex Gordon. Like, we were loaded. We didn't get t- Anybody in the state of Nebraska didn't even touch us. We were undefeated in the state of Nebraska going into the state tournament, number one seed, and we got upset in the quarterfinals by Bellevue West. 
the eight seed. Brutal. But think about this. We were so good and so much better than everyone else. We didn't win the state championship. But in the final Class A rankings after the season in the paper, we were still ranked number one. Think about that. I'm hard-pressed to think that's ever happened. We were still ranked number one. We lost in the quarterfinals, and they said, nope, Lincoln Southeast still number one. The team that won it that year, Lincoln East, we beat their ass by like 30 when we played them. We might not even have had Jake for that game. He broke his wrist and was out for a little bit. Dusted those guys off. But that's, that's my sophomore year, okay? Junior year, we were good. I had, I had my best individual season, 21 points per game-ish, shot almost 50% from three. We were tough, man. We get to the state championship game. We beat Prep. We beat Lincoln High. We get to the state championship game, and we lose. Lost to Wes Wilkinson's Grand Island squad. By the way, we had we beat Grand Island earlier in the season at Grand Island. But we make it to the state finals, lost. In fact, I ran into Wes Wilkinson the other day, and he was he was laughing. He said, man, I was thinking about our, our state championship game. He said, if, if there was a shot clock, we wouldn't have won. The only reason we won is there was we could stall, we could deny you the ball. If there would have been a shot clock, y'all would have won. I was like, yeah, we would have. But that you know, they basically boxing wanted me the whole game, denied me the whole game. I think I finished like one for twelve from the floor. I was awful. I was imp- I was putrid. But we lost in the state finals my my junior year. Okay, senior year. Actually, I dislocated my shoulder the fourth game of the football season. I, I had surgery. I missed the first 10 games of the basketball season. I come back, and you know, I never really got my groove and my rhythm back that year, but it didn't matter. We were killing everyone, right? Like, we make it all the way back to the state championship game again. We beat, I think it was Millard West, and then we beat Omaha Benson in the semifinals. We make it all the way back to the state championship game, and we square off against Lincoln High, a team that we hadn't lost to since I was a starter at Lincoln Southeast, so for three years. N- never lost to him. Not my sophomore year, not my junior year. Beat him earlier in the year as when, that season as seniors. Here comes Lincoln High. We get up 13 to nothing on them in the, at the end of the first quarter. They didn't score on us in the first quarter. And we lost. We fell apart. Once again, I didn't play well. I was like three for nine from the floor or something like that. I was awful. And we lost the state championship game again. Brutal. So, upset as a sophomore, as the number one team, and best team by a mile, indicated in the fact that we finished the year ranked number one even though we didn't win a state championship. Lost in the state finals as a junior. Lost in the state finals as a senior. I mean, just brutal. Like, I could have easily won three straight state championships. Instead, I got zero. I'm sitting here with zero. The Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my good friends at White Castle Roofing. And I've owned two homes in my life. One in Omaha and now one in Lincoln. And both times, when I had some damage to my roof, White Castle Roofing was who I trusted with the job. I had some hail damage to my roof in Omaha. White Castle took care of that and did a great job. And then I had a leak with my skylight in Lincoln. My guy Ben from White Castle was able to come over, 
take a look at things, get the pieces needed to fix it, communicate at every step, and boom, the crew was over and knocked it out quickly. Done and done. The crew was amazing, man. They're fast. They're efficient. They were awesome. Cleanup was a top priority. And most importantly, they did a fantastic job. You can't trust just anyone with your roof. And trust me, you can trust White Castle Roofing. Check them out online, whitecastleroofing.com. That's whitecastleroofing.com. White Castle Roofing, built with trust, proven by time. And what hurts the most is the two worst games I ever played in my high school career. I truly think of all the games I played in high school, the two worst performances I've ever had were in the two state championship games. Brutal. So yeah, Justin, that still bothers me. That still bothers me. Uh, some other things that bother me about like my career, I, I would say, and listen, I, I, sometimes I like to be vulnerable because maybe someone that's listening to this can get something out of this, but like, uh, transitioning to college, I would say the other thing is like that bothers me. I didn't take care of my body well enough. Now, even back, you know, back 2003, 2004, 2000, like sports nutrition and sports science, it was like a thing, but it was still kind of like in its infancy stages, right? Like we were still at the point where like eating a bowl of spaghetti was like, ooh, how about how about how about Johnny Healthy over here crushing a bowl of spaghetti and meatballs? It's like, eh, I don't know if that's the most healthy thing in the world. But you know, for me, like I didn't eat right, I didn't get enough sleep during the season, my sleep habits were bad. You know, I was in that classic cycle of you know, you know, in college you try to take a two hour nap and then you stay up till one or two o'clock in the morning and then you're tired, then you need to nap, and then you're tired, then you need, like, and that catches up to you. And then if I'm being honest, I think, like, I look back on it now. I wasn't like a, you know, John Belushi and Animal, Animal House or anything like that. But, like, I was, I drank too much. I drank too much in college. I got swept up into that party world a little bit. Did it too much in the season. Like, it, it, it was, it was hard because I wasn't playing consistently at Kansas. So, it gets easier to justify going out, Right. And then when I transferred to Creighton, I redshirted for a year. So obviously I wasn't going to play. So again, it gets easier to justify and go out. And listen, I want to reiterate, I, I wasn't like a crazy drinking every single day, partying every single night. Like, I want to make that clear. But for a Division One athlete who had high aspirations of doing some big things, like I probably went out too much. Probably drank a little too much. And that life catches up to you, man. You're tired. Your body starts to break down. It's bad on your body. You put on weight, all that stuff. So I'd say that's something that I regret or still kind of bothers me to this day. The other thing that kind of bothers me, and I've, I've talked about this in some of the, in some, a few posts before, but like when I, when I was a junior at Creighton, I got in the doghouse with Coach Altman because I kind of fought my role. I was fighting my role with what Coach Altman had in mind for me. Coach Altman wanted me to be a glue guy, like toughness, effort, take charges, dive on the floor. He wanted, he wanted me to be that kind of a player. But I saw myself as a shooter slash scorer. And instead of realizing that I was never going to win that battle, I fought it, and it hurt me. I, I should have realized, like, and this is a lesson I've learned. This is what I would, I would, I would give advice to younger players. I realized that oftentimes you got to graduate from your current role to get a bigger, better, more expanded role. Does that make sense? Like, I needed, you, you got to graduate from your current role to get a bigger one. You don't just bypass that. 
Like, you, you want to be the you don't want to be the sixth man. You want to start. Okay. Well, be the best damn sixth man in, in the world. Be so damn good that the coach has to start you. Has to put you out on the floor. Like, pouting about it isn't going to make the coach say, oh, okay, well, Nick doesn't like that he wants me to dive on the floor, take charges, be a glue guy. I guess I'll just, okay, Nick, here, come here real quick. Uh, I realize you don't want to do that, so I'm just going to do what you want to do, and I'm going to run all the sets for you, and guess what? You get to take 20 shots a game. Like, come on. What what, what are we talking about? Like, that was never going to happen. So I I think because of that, me and Coach Altman's relationship wasn't as good as it should have been that year. And then after the season, something kind of just flipped in my mind. I changed my approach, and we were great after that. Me and Coach Altman had literally zero. I mean, we were like totally eye to eye, totally on the same page. So that's something that still bothers me and is a regret. And then overall, like just in something that still bothers me, I would say like as this becomes devolves in the most depressing thing ever. But like it, I, this is hard to say out loud and admit, but the last thing I'll say in terms of something that bothers me or regret is just the reality that I felt like I, underachie- I underachieved and was – disappointed in my college career from a personal standpoint. I would say, I mean, like that, that's a hard thing to really just accept. Listen, I, I wasn't, trust me, I wasn't one of those delusional players that thought I was going to go to the NBA or something like, I don't think I ever thought that. Like, I can't remember ever thinking that, but I, I thought I'd be a better, more impactful college player. Like I know, I know I'm a better player than what I showed in my four years of college. I know I am. And that just sucks, you know, right? Like, but, you know, the more I I watch and cover college basketball, the more I realize how delicate a career can be for someone. For a variety of reasons. I mean, like, everybody goes to college as a basketball player, football player, hoping and expecting to be the starter and score a ton of points and be a stud. And it just doesn't happen for everyone. It just doesn't. Sometimes... It's just because you aren't good enough. Like, that's a part of it. But also sometimes it's circumstances and it's injuries and it's coaching changes and it's recruiting and it's system fit and it's all that stuff that can play a vital role and factor into what your career becomes. For some people, the stars align and boom, they are achieving everything they hoped and thought they would. For others, it just, it doesn't happen like that. Look at like look at someone like Antoine Jones, who just transferred from Creighton. Like, look at him. He's a four-star recruit. Highly touted dude. Talented player. He goes to Memphis. He's kind of in and out of the lineup as a freshman, never kind of settled in. Then Penny Hardaway goes bonkers on the recruiting trail, brings in James Wiseman, and I'm not so sure. I think they had the number one recruiting class. So they bring in all these guys. The writing's on the wall for Antoine Jones. Like, oh, I might not play a ton. So he leaves and he transfers to Creighton. He goes to Creighton, and Antoine Jones finds himself behind arguably the greatest backcourt in Creighton history. In Zegarowski, Balak, and all those guys. And then, so he finds him. He finds himself stuck in this bench role. And I've been there. Sometimes it's hard to flourish when you're in that spot because each night when you show up to the arena. You really have no idea how many minutes you're going to get, how many shots you're going to get, how many opportunities you're going to get. So it's hard to relax, be confident, and be comfortable when that's the reality. So now he leaves Creighton, transfers again, and I think it was announced today that he's heading to Louisiana Lafayette. 
going into his fourth year of college. Again, is some of this on him? Sure. But is some of this just like circumstances and various factors? Yeah. Yes, it is. So to put a bow, and I'd say that's obviously a regret or something that still bothers me. Just the kind of the harsh, cold reality that I felt like I underachieved and had what I believe to be a pseudo-disappointing career in, in college, personally. Okay, I can't end on that somber of note. One, one, last, uh, one last email here from Trevor. I get this all the time. Nick, if you could take one player in the history of Nebraska football and put it on this year's Husker football team, who would it be? Okay, so to answer that question, I think you got to think about needs for this team. Like, you write down the needs. Running back, right? Pass rusher. Uh, some would say quarterback. I disagree. I think Martinez is good enough. Certainly not saying that he's Crouch or Tommy Frazier, but I think there are other needs that rise above that. Some could say you can always you always need Dominic Riola or, you know, Dave Remington. You need a great O-lineman. You could say that you need a proven elite wide receiver. You need Irving Fryer or something like that. But I think the two spots that rise above are running back and pass rusher. So for me, the two the two guys that come to mind are Indomitian Sue or Lawrence Phillips or Mike Rozier. And I think I'm going to go with running back, and I think I'm going to go with Mike Rozier. Running back is probably my biggest concern with this team. And, like, if you can add the greatest running back in Nebraska football history, you got to do it. Mike Rozier, for you young bucks out there, go YouTube this cat. 1983 Heisman Trophy winner. He could do it all. He was elusive. He was fast. He was tough. I mean, damn, was he good. I think he fits kind of what Nebraska needs. They need a home run hitter in this offense. And when you look at the all-time greats at running back, you know, Amir, Amon Green, Lawrence Phillips, Mike Rozier, to me, that's the Mount Rushmore of, of Nebraska football running backs. Amir actually, like, wasn't a great home run hitter. He was super elusive, great acceleration, but he wasn't like a burner. Lawrence Phillips, really powerful, really big, tough. But I wouldn't say, I mean, he, he was, wasn't slow, but I, a home run hitter wouldn't be the first attribute or descriptive term I would use for LP. Now, Amon Green, yeah, a dude had elite, elite, elite speed. And Rozier did too. But I'm just going to ride with Rozier because of how he'd kind of fit in this offense. Like, imagine Rozier in this backfield with Martinez, getting him in space. Oh, God. Like, you look at this team, I think this defense is good enough. I'm not saying they're great, but they're good enough that the needs on the offense rise above to where I'd, I'm going to ride with Mike Rozier. If Nebraska had Mike Rozier, I'd pick him to win the West. Absolutely. I mean, you'd have the Nebraska would have the best running back in the country. Uh, that would help. That would would certainly help. All right, we'll wrap it up there. Good emails. Remember to the, to subscribe to the podcast and and while you're at it, you can give it a five star rating and a review. You can email me nick at nickbod.com. I certainly, if I don't tell you, if I tell you once, I need to tell you a thousand times. I appreciate you guys listening. I appreciate you guys supporting the podcast. Uh, I appreciate you guys downloading the podcast, all that stuff. Sincerely, sincerely appreciate it. So we'll see you next time on the Nick Ba Podcast. All right, my thanks to Pella. If you're thinking about a new window or a new door, now is the time. Check them out online, on the web at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And uh, my thanks to my good friends at Runza. Best fries on the planet. Great burgers. Cheese Runza. Delicious. The food is simply fantastic. Runza makes it all better.
a Huda Media Production.